there's a power in, in a mother's love, isn't there? There is. And there's one thing we all have in common is that we've all had a mother. They might be good or they might be bad. Um, it depends what you're saying. But we've all had a mother and we can't deny that there is potentially a great power in the love of a mother. Now, one of the things I got stewarded in when I became a Christian was um, I used to be like in sort of year seven and eight, nine, sort of, I liked um, going to church because there were lots of great girls there. Um, that was sort of the attraction, um, I confess. Um, and I went along, I wasn't really interested in God, I was more interested in girls. And um, that was quite obvious um, to some of the leaders who were leading me. Um, yeah, but then one of the first things God challenged me in my life was, um, he actually said, like I became a Christian when I was late in year nine, and he said, um, I think you should go without dating for a year. And this is the first sort of clear, like, it doesn't say that on these pages, but something in my spirit leapt to that. And I, I don't know what that was, but I, I learned to trust that voice, that, that voice that would guide me, and I'm like, really? Go without girls for a year? Oh, that's just going to be too hard. And then I sort of got to the end of that year, and then there was this whole idea of, oh, great Lord, who have you got for me? Who's this girl? You know, it's awesome. It's about the year of Brad and the ladies now, you know. And then he sort of impressed on my heart, I think you need to go another year. So as a hormone-enraged teenager, I went two and a bit years without dating anybody, but I'll tell you what, it was one of the greatest things I ever had. And there were these two girls, I used to grow up on these camps that were called WEC camps, and WEC is a missionary organisation, and they run sort of holiday camps for teenagers, and I grew up on there, and there was a couple of ladies who were older than me, who were like leaders, and they actually, like when I made a decision to follow Jesus, they actually came alongside me and really um, shepherded me, and and they started saying things to me, hey Brad, do you know that um, the Bible says that you're meant to treat another woman like a sister or a mother, until you're married to them. And I'm like, really? That's just yuck. Like, you know, what about dating? What about this and that? And they're like, no, there can be an affection you can have for, for ladies and a love you can have for women, but it's just not about getting your needs met. You hearing me? Because God did a big work in me on my heart because... For me, I was thinking love was about what I could get from other people. And I would use that word to somehow get a currency of trust with people to end up getting my needs fulfilled. But I was starting to learn, even way back then, that love can be such a selfless power. It can be such an amazing tool in your life that these two ladies... they didn't have to take an interest in talking to a young bloke like me. Like They could have done anything. But they took their role seriously as like spiritual mothers. And I know you guys here, like I find that I, I have some spiritual mums in the place. That I, I relate to. It's a bit hard to relate to you like a sister because my sense of humour is a bit weird and it doesn't always land. Um, but there's some people that I find I like spiritual mums who just give me that encouragement. Or like friends that encourage me in my walk with my journey with Christ. And I find it helpful. And so this morning, I I'm surprised I haven't done this message yet. Um, but I'm looking at covering um, 
a book that's been out for quite a while called um, The Five Languages of Love by Gary Chapman. And it, it is an interesting book. Um, and the, I know that they've written about a thousand different love languages for teens, love languages for marriages. They've branched off and done a whole lot of things. But I thought it might be really helpful when we're looking at the selfless power of love today in learning about some of these languages and how they might help us engage and love each other the way Christ loves us. So first of all, um, why don't I pray? Lord Jesus, I just want to pray today that you'd empower my words, that you'd empower the things that are said in this place. And Lord, I ask that you'd fill us all afresh with your spirit and that your word would produce fruit. And Father, I thank you this morning that we've been able to witness mission. You know the joy it brings my heart to lay hands on healthy, awesome people in this church and see them get your heart for that one lost sheep and want to go out, even fly in planes, to go out and just be one-on-one with people. Lord, hallelujah. Hallelujah for your mission. Hallelujah for your church. And God, I, I... uh, my heart just warms to this place. My heart beats for these people. And Lord, I pray that there would be a sense of strengthening the cords of love that bind us together this morning as we try and seek to understand how you love us and how we might love each other better. So be with us this morning, Jesus. Holy Spirit, lead us with loving kindness, I pray. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the five languages of love. And... We need to look at why is love such a powerful thing. 1 John 4 says that God is love. So, no other God is called love. And we know in the original understanding of love, in the architecture of the scriptures, we have five words for love, um, when we in English only have one. Which is a bit sad. But there's a whole lot to the understanding of love that, that we need to continually re- refine in our brains that our love doesn't look like a selfish love that might exist in the world. Our love is modelled from a God who is the architect of love. He, he understands love because He is love. He knows he, every part, f- fibre of His being oozes love. So, God is love, and He has asked us with the golden rule to sum up all the law in this, that we would love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind. And if you look at the other version, it says with all your strength. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. If you love God first and you see His definition of love and that He is love, can I tell you the response He's looking for is that you would love Him back? And it's way easier to love somebody who already loves you. He loves you and you'll never out-love God. The more and more you love God, the more and more you realise He loves you more. Do you know that? Who's experienced that? Who's experienced the love, the relentless love of God over their life? I have. It's such a beautiful thing. And he's also asked us to love each other with that kind of love, that agape love. He's asked us to love each other the way that he loves us and as we love ourselves. And sometimes that can be really hard. Because love is such a a crazy word, it's such a, a word that that we find hard to put into words, um, 
we we need to somehow realize and get an understanding about what love really is and we know that when we look at 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 8 that God is, like love is patient it's kind it's not self-seeking or rude doesn't boast it doesn't keep a filing cabinet of wrongs it seeks the truth love is a is a beautiful, deep, rich thing. But sometimes when we try and love each other, um, we get caught in something called being lost in translation. Sometimes somebody says, I love you, I love you, and you just go, really? It doesn't really look like it. <laughs> because sometimes we have this language that we speak in love that sometimes gets lost a little bit. And so it's helpful to look at our languages of speaking love that might actually speak life and being into each other. So, a newest commandment I give to you, yep, we'll, we'll move on. Love is so important that we love God and that we love people unconditionally and we demonstrate that to each other as loving disciples. So, we've got first these five languages of love that Gary Chapman talks about and you know what, this morning, if you're a little bit like me and you hate being put in a box... Don't, you're not going to get put in a box. Okay, I'm not, I'm not looking at that. I'm just trying to share some things. You might find all of these things relevant or none of them relevant. But just open your heart up to God and see what He says. Hey, all right. I just I thought, well, put, thought I'd put that one in because I hate people telling me, oh, you're just like that sort of love. It's like oh, I'm actually a complicated being. Oh, I sort of morph around a bit. And anyway, so if you're one of those people that hate boxes. Take courage, just listen. Um, the first one is words of affirmation. That when somebody speaks verbally how they feel or speaks their love over somebody else, they actually, um, it fills up their tank, fills up their love tank. And they're like, wow. And you know what, we have some precious people who are gifted in that. For some people, you know, it's not necessarily about what you say, but it's about spending quality time with somebody. So some of the people you love are people you've actually spent the most quality time with and you can't put into words what they've done but they've been there in the trenches with you. They've, they've spent the time with you that, that, that you require that speaks something to, to your soul. Receiving gifts. Some people are great at this. That they see something as they're walking through the markets yesterday and they go, oh man, that just reminds me of this person. They've got to have this red polka dot ribbon. Like, that so speaks of somebody. Oh, we've got to get that for her. Or him. Or him. I don't want a gender profile. <laughs> no. Sorry, I just saw you and I was like, hey. Um, but, but giving gifts can just fill up people's lives. They thought of me. That's so wonderful. Yeah? The other one is acts of service. That you do things selflessly that you didn't need to do or didn't have to do, but you do because you know it really serves that person. For instance, mothers doing washing. Man, I magically take my clothes off before a shower and put it in this sort of this corner and then somehow it just arrives in my, my, my chest of drawers all clean and pressed and I'm just like, wow, how does that happen? Does anybody else have one of those fairies in their house? Yeah, you got one of those fairies? Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, you got <laughs> you got good fairy wings, brother. <laughs> no, I, th- that really fills up people's love tanks. They're like, "Wow, that's awesome." 
And uh, the last one is physical touch. That they, they're not somebody to say many words, but just sitting next to them. Just fills them up. Just just giving them a rub on the back. It, it does something to, to who they are. It's like, yeah. I've got a bloke, a, 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 a mate, like Dan Walls. You know Dan Walls from Canberra? He's, he's a big toucher. He, he just, hey man, how you doing? Just... It's always like, yeah, your hands on your hand. Yeah, like it's just always sort of in your, your canoe. And it's like, bro, I love you. Just, just step back a little bit. Like, you're awesome. Yeah, yeah. But then you go to other cultures like when we're in Indonesia and the men, it's quite often just to see them holding hands. Like, you know, and it's like, hey, that's quite comfortable then. Fiji, same. You know, but then when I'm walking with my taxi driver down Poppy's One in Bali and then he grabs my hand and starts holding it, I'm just like, ooh, there's a loss in translation here. Uh, uh, and, then, and then, you know, something in my head just goes, you know what, when in Bali, just go with it. Give it a little swagger. You know, give it a bit of a Carlton swagger. Uh, it's fun, you know. But anyway, so, there's five languages, but... Okay, I'm going to get lost here, aren't I? Um, let's have a look a bit deeper in them. So Jesus models some of these languages, okay? Words of affirmation. Jesus said, blessed, Jesus blessed the disciples prior to his ascension. And that wasn't just blessing. That was, he actually spoke out words of life. You know, blessing is like there's power in the tongue, yeah? So you can speak out blessing. I see this in you. When you did this, I see this. And it's beautiful. Like this morning, praying with you, Karen, in, in this side room, you were so on God's agenda this morning when you were praying about spiritual motherhood. I was just like, Lord, thank you. That woman has a gift and she's on God's agenda at the moment. And I, I, I felt my spirit rise. I was like, there's blessing in that. There was so much blessing in that. He also affirmed the women who washed his feet. Yeah, Jesus? He spoke that out. He just didn't like... Do something. He spoke it. Bless. You know? And you are commanded to speak only words that impart grace to people. You know, sometimes you have this wellspring that you can tap into that it's like, oh, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. But then there's this switch. We always go, look, you know what? If it's not going to... I might be right, but if it's not going to enforce transformation and grace in the other person's life, I've got to learn to do this. Hold, hold my tongue. Yeah? Have you ever heard that one? Hold your tongue and just, Lord, give me the patience to have this come out of a heart that loves somebody, not out of something that wants to be a whip. Jesus modelled beautiful words of affirmation. You see, there is death and life in the power of the tongue, isn't there? Affirmation is a positive declaration Affirmation means saying the assumed and unspoken about somebody. Did you know that? Sometimes we think people know that we love them, but sometimes they need to actually hear it. I fall victim to that sometimes. I think people already know what's going on in my brain and how I feel about them, but they don't. We've got to put it on words, don't we? Can I say this is one of my chief love languages? Personally, if you want to fill up my love tank and have a meaningful relationship, words of affirmation breed life. And we know that we have in our brains, if we were to receive ten words and one of them was negative and nine of them were awesome, I'd focus on the one negative. 
I would. That, that, that's because it can hurt me. It can really hurt me. And in the face of some really hurtful text messages I was getting about women peeing on my grave when I'm dead and, you know, and I'm an abuser and this and that and even got a lovely one this morning which was nice. Um, oh, it wasn't nice. But, um, you know, someone sending me these anonymous text messages over, over pay phones and things. Somebody went, you know what, I'm going to turn that around and do something good. And instead, I've been getting some text messages from a lovely person in this church who's been texting me how God sees me. And speaking words of life into me when somebody's sending awful text messages that are sort of saying horrible things about me. They don't even know me. And I think, you know what? It has power for me. It speaks to me in a way that other things don't. It fills up something inside of me that gives me courage to keep going. And I, I, I really appreciate it. You see, words of affirmation is such a vital language. And sometimes we, we don't realise it, but people need to hear verbally how you feel about them when we can't just assume that they would know. The next one I want to cover is quality time. Jesus, when he discipled with people, it meant that they actually lived with him. They slept in the same room. Even like when you look at John's gospel and it says they were reclining at the Last Supper, it says the disciple Jesus loved, which we call John, leant back onto his bosom, if you read the King James Version. It leant back and rested on his his bosom or his breast. Um, They literally spent time with each other, they were so close, they literally were living in the dust of their master. Thank you, Rob Bell. Um, they were covered in the dust of that person and, and they spent some real quality time with each other. Jesus had dinner at Matthew's house and that was an act of love because nobody else would spend quality time with a filthy tax collector. But Jesus did. Jesus did, didn't he? Isn't that powerful? Jesus stayed with Zacchaeus as well. It's beautiful. He spent time with them. He oikost with them. He went into their house with them. And Jesus spent time with the disciples after his resurrection because it took a while for it to land for some of them. You know? Time is an important thing. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, but focus on being an encouragement to one another. There's something about gathering together and spending time together that fills up your love tank and sets you out, filled up. You know, sometimes love is spelled T-I-M-E. And it's a challenge in this kind of busy society we live in to actually engage in, and spend quality time with each other. And spending, common, um, spending time together in common pursuits is great. Um, and spending time just as a family. Like some of my best friends are, are friends that I've known since I was eight years old. And I, I can, it's not like I see them all the time. But when I do see them, once every six months or so, there's like a button that's just pressed and it's like we've never left our friendship. Because they, I've been in the trenches with them and, you've, and you know them. And they know your heart and it's, it's a quality thing. You see, one of my wife's um, main love languages is quality time. 
She's a bit hard to do sometimes because this Mother's Day, she said, I don't want a present from you this Mother's Day. And she knows it's easy for me to give a gift. And I'm like, but what am I meant to give you? Like, what's meant to be my gift for, for Mother's Day? Like, can't I just, you know, buy something and give it to you and, you know, happy Mother's Day? Like, and then she goes, no, no, I don't want a gift. And I'm like, oh, damn. What am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? And she's going to find out later on. So, but I know for my wife, um, quality time is really important. Like, so when we get invited to go to a wedding in Sydney, it's not necessarily about us being at a wedding together. She enjoys the hour and a half drive there. Just driving in the car together. It just fills up her personality and who she is and, and loves spending time with me. And for some of us, we receive love that way too, don't we? Just just being with each other. Feels nice. The next one is receiving gifts. So some of us are gift givers and it's great. Um, Jesus said God loves to give good gifts to his children. Like a father, he doesn't give you a stone when you ask for bread. He wants to give you good gifts. He's the best gift giver. God is. Isn't that cool to know? Just remind yourself. He, he doesn't hate you. He's not giving, gifting you a hard circumstance. He's, he wants to give you good gifts. And he feeds people when they're hungry. Literally. It's cool. I love food. Um, if you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure. Luke 6.38 A gift is a tangible symbol of somebody's thought towards you. It's something that, that comes very much out of the heart and is manifest in the physical in giving it to somebody. Receiving a gift is not about the value, but rather knowing that you've been loved. So I experience that. When any of you experience that when you have children, when they've gone to playgroup or whatever they've gone to, for me they go to KU preschool and they've drawn a picture or a painting and then they come home and it's like, this is for you, Dad. And you know what? It's not a Da Vinci or a, a Van Gogh, but it's an Ava Blacker. And um, it means the world to me because she's thought of me during her day and she's wanted to make a painting. Some of us are gift givers. My mum is a massive gift giver. I never realised it. You know, I when I moved out of home, um, when I was in my 20s, um, early 20s, I moved out of home and I, I moved out to ride somewhere and started studying. And, and I kind of felt this sort of distance from my family quite a bit. And um, when we started... Um, when we met up, we sort of had those sort of intense catch-ups and then kind of leave. And whenever I met up with my mum, she always seemed to be giving me something. So I'd get a little sandwich container full of Mars bar slice, which wasn't good for this while you're studying. Uh, that's where I put it on, actually. Um, or she had, oh, I was thinking of you and I got you this cat calendar. Now... 
I haven't collected cats since I was 12 and I started getting paid out about cats because a dog jumped on me when I was five and I split my head open, had this sort of affinity with cats for a while and loved cats. But then when I started talking about it at school, all the boys started teasing me and so I just kind of kept it on the down low, kind of put them in a box and I had cat candles, cat figurines, cat everything, you know, kind of put them in a box and I like put them away so when the boys come over they don't see them. Um... The mum kept giving me, like, cat things when I was in my early 20s. I'm like, alright, uh. One of these things, like, I, was, I remember being in Bible college, and um, she came and we met up, and she said, oh, oh, before you go, look, there's something in this bag, I just want to give it to you. I'm like, hey, sure, this is cool. And um, she goes, oh, it's a Valance. And she just saw a blank stare back at her. What's a Valance, mum? I've got no idea. Does anybody else know, like, not know what a Valance is? Yeah? Yeah. Thank you, Al. Bless you, mate. You and me both. Um, it's, it's the, like, sheety thing that you put on the bottom of your bed that sort of has the frills underneath it. Right. So you put it underneath your mattress and it, and it sort of covers underneath your bed, which is kind of good when you want to hide stuff under there. It's, you know, uh, but um, mum just saw me at Bible college and looked at my bed and just went, that boy needs a valance. <laughs> I don't know what that was saying about my cleaning skills, but, um, you know, I, it kind of used to annoy me that she used to give me stuff all the time. Uh, but then when I realised that it was the way she was trying to communicate her affection towards me, it started to change the way that I, I received those gifts, you know. The next one is um, acts of service. So, Jesus also did the massive act of service in washing his disciples' feet. The job left for the lowest slave in the household to wash the scum and the muck of visitors' feet. Jesus did that for his best mates. What an act of service. What a great servant leader. He healed many who came to him. He didn't have to heal people, you know. He didn't have to. But he went out of his way to, to make sure that he healed people. And Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve, didn't he? And we are called in the gospel in Galatians 5.13, through love to serve one another. In Romans 12, it says that we're meant to use our gifts for the service of each other. Did you know that? Like we're not meant to be cookie cutter Christians. We've all got the gifts in here that God wants for us for this time and for this season. And God asks you in an act of love to serve us with it. You know, one of the acts of service that I find is incredibly... um, I'll get to that one. Expressing your love by doing things for other people. That's what acts of service is. You're doing something as an expression of love. It takes thought, it takes planning, it takes time, it takes energy. And we need to be alert to some of those opportunities to act in services of love. Now, I was talking to another friend who goes to another church, and the church is a, a bit bigger than this one. And um, what they do is, they, they were telling me how they've got, they got given a contract and they pay something like $8,000 a year for their church for somebody to come and place hired plants in their in their building and maintain them. So $8,000 a year just to put 
evergreens inside and then they rotate them like once a month or something and, and I was kind of like, man, 8,000 bucks just for a plant in your thing? And then it made me think about our church and I'm like, man, like, we would never do that. Like, but, but I mean, different strokes for different folks. I get it. Um, but it's important to come into a place and there's like this act of service that this place looks nice. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not like a, an unmade bed when people come in. And those people who are a bit OCD are kind of like feeling like something's not quite right here. It's a nice service. Our flower roster has been going on for ages. It just ticks along. And some of us notice them, some of us don't. But what a beautiful act of service just to, to prepare flowers, to think about it, to come up here and spend time just cutting them and arranging them and, and then just leaving them and, and not even knowing that anybody would know that you've done it. What a, what a beautiful act of service for us. Does anybody else feel that? Uh, it just made me have this appreciation for, for some of those guys who are here who, who just do things like that and they're not looking for a pat on the back but they're serving us just by making this place look a little bit nicer. You know? It's a beautiful act of service. Some of us need some physical touch as well. This last one. Jesus actually didn't just say, leper be healed, did they? Did he? Touched them. And that's a massive faux pas in Jewish law, isn't it? To touch somebody who is unclean, is sick. Jesus didn't just say be healed, he touched them. And this is where some people go who want to disprove that Jesus um, fulfilled Torah or fulfilled the law. Um, They want to go, he actually sinned because he touched unclean people. Did you know? Some people try and attack the the holiness of God by saying, you know, he couldn't have been God because he touched lepers. But praise God, we have a God who didn't sit on his throne and just speak out words. He came down and he touched the sick. He fed the hungry. He served the poor. It's not just words unless you're prepared to cash it up in action, are you? We have a God who did that. Jesus also touched Peter's mother-in-law and he healed her. And Jesus took the children into his arms and put his hands around them and said, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He didn't just speak it out. He gathered them like a chick, you know. God loves you guys. And the kingdom of God belongs to you guys. That's the way Jesus operated. I I, I always love it when you go through Romans and you get towards the end of Romans. I'll be looking because we're going to be preaching on Romans later in this year. And Romans 16, sort of towards the end there, it says, "Um, make sure you greet each other with a holy kiss. Uh, and trying to look at the his, historic um, view of, of the way people relate with each other, it's like, oh, do they always greet each other with a kiss? Or is that just for Christians? And then they were talk, calling each other brothers and sisters, and so it's getting a little bit awkward, you know, kissing your brother and sister and marrying them and eating body and drinking blood and it's a bit, oh, you know, okay, whatever. But I think... Um, like a nowadays version of, like, you know, greet each other with a holy kiss is sort of in this um, sort of day and age. It's like, um, greet each other with a Christian side hug. 
you know the Christian side hug? Like, it's kind of like you sort of sidle up to someone and just say, hey, how you doing? Like you're not trying to go, hey, how you doing? Like, it's kind of like, hey, how you doing? Like, sometimes it's good. Like, like greet each other with a Christian side hug. I, I kind of think, oh, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. But um, I know this is going to sound a little weird, but hugs can sort of be like a, an amazing medicine in some ways. For people who don't have meaningful touch or interaction with people um, during the week, it can actually release some amazing chemicals in your body by just somebody being affectionate and not, not being um, perverse, but just, be, um, just expressing a, a gratitude or a love that you have for somebody. Um, it actually leads, releases something called oxytocin in your, in your bloodstream and it stimulates the hormones to help you feel good when you have a hug. And that's why that, that dude was just walking around Martin Place with the free hug sign. He, he, you know what, sometimes that can be selfish because he was just feeling lots of good, you know? Because he was hugging so many people. It, it gives you a high, a natural high. And um, just medically, it's kind of cool. But extending physical touch to others can sometimes be really hard. And so we need to, uh, I'm putting it out, we need to use wisdom and discernment in how you share the love language of touch. But um, it doesn't mean we shouldn't operate in it. Are you hearing me? We need to have discernment. See, last night I watched that movie, um, The Railway Man. Um, it was after hearing Graham give a little bit of a rap about it the other week. Um, it might have been on, on camp, I'm not sure. Um, the Railway Man was about how the Allied forces um, were captured um, in Thailand uh, or down in Vietnam, I think. And they were... Tr- no? Which one? Singapore. Singapore, that's it. Yeah, and they were transported on train for four days up into sort of southern Thailand and then they were forced to sort of work on the railways and um, I, I, I was kind of going, man, this movie's a bit slow, Graham, why did you recommend this movie? Towards the start, I was like, oh, you know, it's getting a little bit long. But then um, it started to come to this time where um, the guys just built a radio, oh, oh, I might be giving it away too much. Um, they built a radio so they could hear what was going on um, in the war and they started to hear that they were winning and this guy started to speak out words to other guys that literally saw them start to come to life again. They said, oh, we've got them on the run. We've got them on the run. The British forces are rising. The Allies are rising. We've got them on the run. And you could see literally in the guys who demeanors had no hope, when they heard those words, they started to lift. And they'd just do little things for each other that would lift each other while they were in those, those camps together. Just little acts of service that would lift each other. They had somehow smuggled different things with them when they were carried away and, and the guys sort of were able to pull them together and, and round them all up and sort of make this, this thing and they, they got to work selflessly together. And, and then um, they saw a major who was debilitated and one of the guys just spoke these words of affirmation over him. Sir, sir. And, you know, and he saw his demeanour and it's like, Wow, that's really cool. And I'm thinking about this stuff. And and then I, I was thinking about some of the horrible atrocities that are happening in this world. Some sick, twisted things. I was thinking about mo- molestation. I was thinking about ritual abuse. I was thinking about 
horrible, despicable, filthy things. And then, it, and then it went to my head and I went, man, the pattern of some TV shows nowadays is like with CSI and with Criminal Minds and things like that. We're seeing some of the most sick and perverted and twisted forms of evil imaginable. And then these heroes of science come in and solve the problem. You hear you hearing me? And it made me think, you know what? I can understand how people might have experienced fierce evil, may have seen some of this stuff, and they're filled with no hope. They go, man, this world is just filthy. So you know what? Get, get yours, live for your instant pleasures, and just ride it until you die. You know, like, I can see how some people might live that way. But what I'm really challenged about is that love not just being a romantic sort of notion, but love has strength and love has power. It really has power. In that movie, The Railway Man, he was facing severe, constant torture in all different sorts of forms. Um, and then later on he finds out that um, the guy who had tortured him hadn't been found um, guilty of, of crime and um, was operating tours in the same town yeah, where he was, um, where he was tortured. And so he went there. On his own he went there to face the man that had tortured him so, so rigorously. And it actually it set a few things in the fabric of his being and of his brain loose. You know what I'm talking about? And he'd suffered greatly. And you know what? I, I can see even in our society that when evil is continually perpetuated, the fabric of people's beings and minds starts to sever. And I think we're going to see even more fierce evil than what we even can imagine now because evil is continually perpetrating and continually getting darker. And praise God for people who, who deal with it on our defence that we don't even get to see some of it. You know, Praise God for them. But I believe that some evil is getting eviler. But how do you overcome evil? This guy was standing before the guy that tortured him and this guy got down on his knees and just said, I'm so sorry. And he had the ability to, to perpetrate against his perpetrator. And you could see this fighting him to to want justice the same thing that happened to him to happen to this guy and he could see in in the way he played it he could see this fight but instead of like there was a choosing to bless there was a choosing to to not hold on, but to forgive. And he went back to the place where all that sort of happened and he asked, the guy got down and, and apologised to him and he was able to look at him back in the eyes and say, I completely forgive you. You see Nicole Kidman in the background with some tears. And I must admit as a bloke I was starting to choke up a bit but it made me just stand in awe and wonder at how powerful love can be 
it can look fiercest evil in the face and forgive. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. That's Jesus. He can look evil dead in the face. And he doesn't repay evil for evil, does he? He does what is good. And he loves and allows his love to produce resilience in his people. So you and me, when we face evil, because we've experienced the love of Christ, we can love too in the face of evil. We can forgive. I'm not saying it's an easy thing. It's a hard thing. But that's what brings us to Jesus. We need Jesus to help us to love each other. We need Jesus to continually show us what it means to love and how we might love each other in a way that lands and speaks to each other. And we're going to remember that this morning in communion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for showing us such great love that you did not sit on your throne in heaven and and wonder what it was like and just bark out words that you could have done, but instead you chose to show us this love that while we were dead in our trespasses, while we were sinners, while we were people that perpetrated evil and we had thoughts that would harm people around us, we had intentions that were not pure for one another, why we were like that, we didn't even think about you God. Even though we treated you like like dirt, as if the God of the universe does not matter, even though we treated you that way, you sent your Son to sacrifice himself that, that we might know what true love is. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look to you and as we look to your cross and as we look to the example of your life, I pray that you would fuel us and you would fill us afresh to to have that power of love in the way that we operate in the power of your Spirit that would see healing, that would see the kingdom of God advance, that would see evil and not repay evil with evil but repay evil with what is good and see love produce resilience and strength and power and relentlessness and favour until we see your face again. So God, I thank you for your love in the face of Jesus Christ this morning. And we pray you would fill us with the fullness of yourself. And as we take this cup and as we take this bread, we eat it and we drink it in remembrance of the great love and the sacrifice that you have for us. Amen.